The Word says we're called to make disciples. We're growing in the Word of God. Jesus Christ was sent to be our Saviour. This is the Bromley Town Church Podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message, blessing you as you live out God's Word. Stream or download other sermon podcasts via the Bromley Town Church website or by using the SoundCloud app. Head over to bromleytownchurch.com. I trust that you are well. If you want to come back and get your seats, it's good to see you in the house of God. We can turn the music down. Well, I don't mind having a bit of music, but come on, we've got some order. Folks, we're going we're gonna to do something slightly different this morning. Um, we're going to start off by reading a number of different passages. They're going to come up on the screen together. We're still in this series, Gospel Truth, so we're going to be looking at Gospel Truth, we're going to be reading a little bit about from the Word of God, and then I'm going to open it up. So as we read this, or as I read it, and you read it through on the screen together, let's just engage with what God is speaking to us, Uh, and let's hear the Word of God as it comes into our hearts. Are we ready to receive the Word of God? We want to have hearts that are open, minds that are open. We've been worshipping him. We've been lifting up his name gloriously. God's presence is here with us. He is here to strengthen his people. I just want to say again, what was said, what's been happening in this week in Manchester, all the pressures that there are around us, there is a sense in which we think, what is the world coming to? There's a real sense in which people are being shaken. The people of God have no need to be afraid because our God cannot be shaken. But he says that everything that can be shaken will be shaken. So therefore, why is that? So that what is firm can be seen to be what is firm. And the people of God have a rock that is Jesus Christ. And we're anchored on that rock and we're standing on that rock. And that rock is beneath our feet so we've got strength. The number of days, have no fear, the number of days that have been ordained for you are written in his book. They cannot be stopped until they have come to pass. So we want to trust in God and have our faith in Him. Let's read His Word as it comes up on the screen. First of all, I just want to present to you 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 to 8. Not the whole scripture, just put down about what love is. Why? Because I want to remind us all, right at the beginning of this message, of what love is. And remember this, God is love. This is the representation of God This is the representation of what true love is, and God who is love can make this love happen in our lives. Love, it says, is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. Love keeps no record of wrongs, does not delight in evil, rejoices with the truth, love always protects, love always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, love never fails. You hear that? Love never fails. Let's move to the next scripture. John 8, 31 to 32. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, 
If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. John 3, 16 to 21. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone, does, everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Amen. And our final reading is this. This is Ephesians 5, verse 22, right through to Ephesians 6, verse 9. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the saviour. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you, and you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. Hallelujah. Thank you, Dan. 
Over the last few weeks, we've been looking at gospel truth and we have established that God's word is truth, that God himself is truth. We've looked at his attributes, we've looked at his characteristics. Even again this morning, we're looking at the characteristic of God when we see of what love is, that we understand that that is the characteristics of God. And this God who speaks has spoken and does speak to us as individuals today, and he has spoken, and that spoken word has been recorded, and that recorded word is the Bible, the Holy Scriptures. It is in the Bible, this book, that we are reading the word that God has caused to be written down and it is his life, his life-giving word that we can have amongst us. And so we want to unpack a little bit of those scriptures that we've read and to have them in the back of our mind as we go through the three different points that we're going to look at today. The first one being this, the truth brings release. The truth brings release. And I've just reiterated part of the scripture for this. To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. If you continue in my word, is actually how it's put down in the King James Version. If you continue in my word, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, when Jesus was speaking to his disciples with this, the first thing that came up was that, well, we're not slaves to anybody. We don't need to be set free. In fact, the Jews of that time were saying, Abraham is our father, so therefore we're in Abraham, and therefore we don't need to be set free. And often there is a case for us today, when we're hearing about the need for freedom, we think, well, I'm okay. I don't need to be set free from anything. I'm all right. Jesus at those times went back to them and said, listen, if Abraham is your father, you would be doing the things that your father Abraham did. But for you, you have no room in your hearts for my word. And the same could be said today. We are those who are Christians, called Christians, Christ-like ones. We are supposed to be doing the things that Jesus did. We're supposed to be following in his ways. We're supposed to be accomplishing the same task that Jesus has set out for us to do. We're supposed to be following his ways, but often we don't. And often it's true of us that within our own hearts, there's no room for his word. It's not that we don't actually have a Bible. It's that we don't, or or even, that we don't even read it. It's that we don't actually take hold of it and that we're not actually making this word affect our daily living. But when we do, when we read this, then there's something about the reading of what God has written that his truth is being written into our hearts. And the Bible says this, and as we receive that word, as we keep reading that word, and can I just tell you that this isn't just an event. I did it once. It's not an event I went to that concert, I've been to that place. You know how people talk about they've been to see a house or they've been to see a country? Oh, I've been there. That was an event. It happened once. I'm talking about something that needs to be a process, something that is regular coming into our lives. When we get this word regularly coming into our lives, then there is the writing of God's truth upon our hearts and that truth starts to dismantle the things that are holding us captive. And that change can take place over years. Or that change sometimes can take place over moments. But it's God's written word 
And that truth can be written on our hearts. And it is this truth that can actually set our hearts free. We need to continue in the word. Because as we continue in the word, then God will release us. Don't forget, when it says continuing, the word of God, it says, well, it says man does not live on bread only. We know this scripture, it's familiar to us, but it comes in again here. Just as we don't forget to eat our breakfast, or lunch, or tea, we might miss the odd meal. But basically, we're not going to go starving ourselves. We're going to keep eating. There's a regularity. It's amazing how we can regularly remember that we need to eat. That's physical food. What God is encouraging us to say is, remember regularly that you also need to eat the spiritual food. Because the spiritual food will bring truth to you. The spiritual food will actually set you free from anything that is holding you. The sins that so easily tie us up. So firstly, the truth sets us free. The truth sets us free. Secondly, the truth brings challenge. We read as part of our readings this morning that famous part, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. That's what we read. And then, that's verses 16 and 17. But then you come to verse 18. And verse 18 says this, Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Praise the Lord. But, it says, whoever believes the word is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. When we're talking about the Bible bringing truth, there is truth that brings challenge to us. And the challenge that God's word is bringing to each and every one of us is this, that sinners who do not know Jesus Christ as their saviour, stand condemned. What does it mean to be condemned? We've heard of that phrase, oh, he's a condemned person. It means that somebody has passed judgment on them. Somebody has passed the judgment of punishment upon that person. They become a, a condemned person. A prisoner who is in prison would say, oh, he stands condemned before the judge because he's been caught and now his judgment is about to be given. A condemned person is somebody who is standing in, in, in the place where they're going to be judged. They have been pronounced guilty and they're going to be sentenced to punishment. The wages of sin, it says, is death. And actually, before any of us start to exclude ourselves, the Bible clearly says this, for all have sinned and fallen short of God's standards. There's not a soul, there's not one of us in this room here that has not sinned. No one is righteous, the Bible says, no, not one. Everyone has sinned. And the reason that people stand condemned is because of our sins. Because there is a righteous judgment against what we have done that is wrong. So we stand condemned. But there is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is our saviour. And if we receive Jesus as our saviour, then we can find forgiveness for what we have done wrong. It's not what he did. He did what we could not do. He took the punishment of our sin upon himself that we might be set free. But the world stands condemned because 
they have sinned and they stand condemned if not only they have sinned, but they are not standing as Jesus, as their saviour. This is what the Bible says. This is what truth declares to us. That every person who does not know Jesus Christ as their saviour stands condemned before God. Now this ought to stir our hearts. Suddenly you realise that truth isn't always a pleasant thing to talk about. Truth is bringing the reality of what God says. It's telling us things just as they are. It's letting us know what the situation is. There, of course, there are mitigating circumstances and we're involved in some of those. It says in Romans that men can suppress the truth through their wickedness. In other words, the things that we do, they become normal to society. Oh, that's what everybody does. Yes, but that's not what God wanted. And there is a way that we walk in what declares to be normality to everybody else, but that's not what God wanted. And in the continuation of us walking in those ways, we actually silence, we suppress the truth. We cause it no longer to have effect upon us. There's a sense in which we hear truth, but we quickly dismiss it. Oh, I've got a reason for this, or I can overcome that, or that's no longer relevant to me. We push it back away from us. So there's a sense in which truth can be suppressed, and of course there's a sense in which we can exchange the truth of God, it says in Romans, for the lie. For instance, a lie like this, well, God doesn't exist. I used to believe in God, but now I've heard about science. I was out on Friday night with the street pastors, and one guy, young lad, 18 years of age, had been on a school uh, party thing at the end of term, and he said to us, he said, who are these people, street pastors? So we explained that we were from the churches, and he said, I used to be a, uh, a Catholic, I used to be regular uh, at church, I used to believe in God, and then I discovered science. Now, unfortunately, I didn't have long to talk with him. Because I wanted to say to him, well, God knew science, God created science, and God is an advance of science. So I'm glad you're catching up, but you need to know this. God is. He always has been. But you see, many people are living under the lie that there is no God. They're living under a lie that there is no God. The Bible says this, the fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God, because the evidence of God has been made plain to us. The fact that God's invisible qualities, his divine nature, his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. The evidence is all around us. The problem is that there is a suppression of the truth and as a holding on to lies which cause us to stand away from it. Everybody in the world is a sinner and those that do not know Jesus are condemned not only for their sin but for the fact that they are not honouring God as their saviour. That's the position of truth. We know that the devil himself is at work in the minds of unbelievers. He blinds their minds so they cannot see, they cannot understand. Their minds become darkened so they cannot see this. And I'm sure that many of you here have experienced that when you've talked to people and you're trying to explain to them that, that you know Jesus and that you love Jesus and that Jesus has helped you in this way and you found the forgiveness of your sins, you found peace and, and there's a blankness that comes across them because they, they think, well, good for you, but I don't understand. There is a blindness that the devil can bring to the minds of people. Truth brings challenge. Knowing the truth brings responsibility. And our responsibility is that we want to tell people 
about Jesus. People need to know about Jesus. They need to hear about Jesus. If we're dealing with the truth, if we're dealing with gospel truth, if we're wanting to embrace truth, then we have to understand these simple things. Truth, we need to get hold of it and get it into our lives because it releases us. And there is bondage in our lives because every time we sin, it shows that we're in bondage to that sin. Truth sets us free. There's also a challenge with truth from the point of view that the truth, scriptures, clearly say that mankind is condemned already. And therefore, we have a responsibility as those who have been brought into the family of God, we have a responsibility to help those people understand the truth. And we don't want to take that responsibility lightly. It is a calling that each of us have. So there's two aspects of truth. They bring freedom, release, but they also bring challenge to us. And then thirdly and finally, and I'm nearly through. It's not really true. <laughs> the truth affects our behavior. I just thought, here we are talking about truth. We've got the word. Let's just bring it straight home into our lives. Let's see what this Bible has to say to us. Let's see how the word of God, the truth of God, just come to us. Let's just receive it as God's word to his people. Let's bring it right home, into our homes, into our lives, into our workplaces. What better place? Things that will affect all of us in some way. At home and at work, and this is the passages that we read from Ephesians. Hence, this is why I wanted to read these scriptures beforehand. At homes, and I know that not everybody is married, so I'm just going to look at this issue of marriage and children first of all. But of course, when we're talking about marriages, a lot of these things affect relationships and we all have relationships with people around us. But nevertheless, in marriage, what does the Bible say about marriage? It says in the passage that we read from Ephesians, it says there in verse 22, and you can look at this later of chapter 5, wives submit, submit to your husbands. And in verse 33, it says to wives, wives respect your husbands. And of husbands, it says, husbands love your wives. Let's just have the slide up of what love is again. It's the next one down, go. Just, oh, let's leave that up, just in case there's too much tension in the room for the ladies. Do you notice instantly, by the way, as soon as we hear what God wants to say, so wives submit, wives respect, wives honour. I don't know about that. Because you see, in our society, and I'm not pressing on any particular person, I'll just look at the clock up here. In our society, that's not the way it is. In our society, we value ourselves. We value our freedom. We value our rights, what we are allowed to do. And in our society, that's what is held up and that's what's respected and that's what's pressed in for. And therefore, everybody has rights, you know. And this is how things should be. And I know some of the guys are sitting here thinking like, yeah, this is how things should be because they're thinking about that bit to do with the wives, but you need to keep your eyes on the screen, guys. In fact, we all need to keep our eyes on the screen because we need to understand what love is. What I want to show to you is that, you see, when we start to open the word, there's stuff there that suddenly it starts to have an effect upon us. See, why should, this, why should I respect my husband? Do you know what he's like? He's a lazy good-for-nothing that doesn't do anything. Why should I have any respect for him? 
Why should I submit to him? Have you heard the crazy things he's asking me to do? The places he wants me to go to? I'm not respecting that. I'm not doing that. I've been speaking to my friend about this, and she says I shouldn't do it. So don't tell me that we don't hear these things. It's on our TV screens all the time. It's being said to us. But what are we supposed to be doing in the house of God? What we're trying to do is we're trying to bring ourselves under the word and see if the word can have any effect upon our lives. And then the guys who are mumbling away thinking like, yes, I want my wife to respect me. That's exactly how it should be. I knew I'm the head of the family. This is what I want to happen. But you see, he's forgotten about loving. But you see, he's been telling his friend about what's been going on. And you know that my wife, she does this, she does that. She spends the money here. I said to her, do this. She takes no notice of me. I've said that should change. And the, his friend is saying back to him, well, if that was my wife, I wouldn't allow her to treat me in that way. You, you know all this advice we get? It's worldly advice when the Word of God has given us advice. The Word of God says about respecting and submitting. And the Word of God says about loving. And love is being patient. Love is being kind. Love is not being moody and not listening. Love is not running away when the midst of an argument is hearing through what the issues are. Love does not remember the list of wrongs. And yet all of us seem to have the capacity to override that and go back to our own hard drive and remember back those 15 years ago when I first met you, this is or however long it may be. It might even only be to two weeks ago. But you know exactly what I am talking about. But what we're trying to do here is not point the finger. I mean, who, you know, husbands and wives, are, are you hearing anything from God this morning? Well, well, who's supposed to be putting it right first? All the ladies in the room would love the guys to go first. And all the guys in the room would love the ladies to go first. I've got a word to every one of us. This is not about you, this is about me. It's about me. There's no point in pretending. If you want something to change in your marriage, stop trying to change them. It's you who needs to be changed. This is what God's word is saying to us. And as we come into this, of course there's lots and lots. And marriage is not easy. Well, it is in my house. Come on, come on. That was the right thing to say. And that's where we're ending this sermon now. Well, what a high. Marriage is a challenge. Can I just make an observation? Okay, when we're worrying about submitting, we're worrying about honoring, we're worrying about loving. Jesus, what can he tell us? He wasn't married. Well, let's just think a little bit about Jesus. Jesus subjected himself to what the Father was doing. I only do the things that my Father was doing. You think that Jesus didn't understand submission? You think that he didn't understand authority? No, he understood it extremely well. And Jesus, he loved. He was God's representation, the exact representation of God here upon the earth. God is love, Jesus loved. We don't have to look very far. Jesus did know, and he does understand. Greater love, it says, has no man than this, than he lay down his life for his friends. Jesus is our example. He knows exactly what it takes. It might be different circumstances, but he knows 
the real things that are necessary. What are we going to do? Are we going to hold on to truth? Or have we had enough of truth? Or as with Jesus, when he was talking to the disciples, saying to them that truth sets you free, but he said to them, the problem with you is you have no room in your hearts for the truth. (coughs) Do we want to have room in our hearts? What does it mean to submit? What does it mean to honour? This is what we come back to. What does it mean anyway? Submitting is about yielding to authority. But you know, there's a much easier way of understanding what submission means. is to look at the opposite of it. The opposite of submission is rebellion. We understand what rebellion is. Okay. Well, now you understand a bit more what submission is. It's not rebellion. And you can say the same thing with honour. Honour. Do we use that word very much? To honour? To honour somebody is to respect somebody? It's to hold them up? It's, not, it's to be behind them? How can we understand that? Well, what is, rather look at honour, what, what is it to dishonour? We know how to dishonour somebody. You disrespect them. You put them down. You don't treat them well. You use their name in the wrong way, in the wrong place at the wrong time. Honouring is when we lift people up. And the same thing we can say about love. We've seen what love is. Love is being declared to us. This is what love is. We, we each need to have this and we need to look at it regularly. Only as an encouragement. It's not a stick to beat ourselves with. It's an encouragement because it helps us to remember, oh yeah, I haven't, I'm not quite in that place. God, I need you. God wants us to need him. If we realize that we're falling short, then really what we're saying is, I need you, Lord. Well, just let's start saying it. Stop leaving him out because he's the one who can help us to change. He's the one that we want to bring in. So we're crying out for his help. Oh God, will you come and help me? I keep misbehaving. I keep getting it wrong. I keep not doing the right thing. I keep making mistakes. I've come back again to that place of failure. I feel pretty pathetic. I feel rejected. But Lord, I need you. And you are the only one who can help me. He is the one who sends his truth and his truth, when it enters our hearts, will break through those chains and will bring us into a place of liberty and freedom. Are you going to hold to the truth? Or are you going to run away from the truth? You know, there's an example uh, that Jesus gave. Jesus talking to his disciples Talk to them about right and wrong, if you like. He said, what do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went out to the other son and said the same thing. Will you go and work in my vineyard? He answered, I will go. But he did not. And Jesus told that story and then he asked the Pharisees, which one of them obeyed? And everybody said, well, the one who did what you asked him to do. Yeah, but he's the one who started off by saying, I'm not going. See, in the end, it's not really what's coming out of our mouths. It's actually what we do that really counts. It's what we do. So sometimes, and I like this example because it's a bit more real. 
You get asked to do something at home, no, I'm not doing that. And then you go away after a while and, and you see that somewhere in the house and you think, trapped. And then you change. That, that's more normal, isn't it? You know, the other one is like, oh yes, I'll go and help. I'll do that. And then you forget about it. You're not doing it at all. There's a challenge here for us. We want to do what God is asking us to do. And sometimes, even if it started off with us starting in the negative, let's pray that God will help us to come through to the positive. God's word, his gospel truth, is his word for our lives today. This word is relevant This word is living and active, and it can change our lives today. Truth costs. Love hurts. But love wins. And we need to remember that. Okay, we had enough about marriage. Well, not enough. That is all I'm going to talk about marriage this morning. Let's move on to family. So the truth affecting our behavior. Go to the next one. I can't remember what we've got. Family, praise God. Children. We all want to think, oh, the kids are out, so that's okay. I think all of us have had parents, if I'm not mistaken. Some of them have passed on, some of them are still around. We've either got parents or there are children here with their parents. They're probably feeling a little bit less comfortable right now, especially as the Word of God just simply says this, honour and obey your parents. And it speaks particularly to fathers, and it talks about don't exasperate your children. can see Charlotte, but I won't look at her because I think she knows the scripture. She might have quoted it to me at some stage. What I'm trying to get across this morning, first of all, is does the word of God affect us when we hear it? The answer is yes, it does. Because when we hear this, honor and obey your parents, do you? Similar, do you? The word of God says this is how you should behave. Do you? Do you honour and respect your parents? Ah, but you don't understand. (laughs) Forget that one, okay? Uh, You're right, I don't. I'm just telling you what the Word of God says. There are parents that have done many wrong things. There are parents, like me, who have exasperated their children. Do we use that phrase very much? Probably not. Exasperate means to irritate or provoke to a high degree. Uh, Wind them up would be a little bit more of a colloquial phrase. Now, unfortunately, this is something that I do know how to do to my children. And at times, I have a bit of fun with it. It's not right. Well, having fun is not always a bad thing, but not to the point of provoking or irritating. Fathers, do you hear this? Mums as well, do we hear this? It means that children need space. It means that children need to be listened to. It means that children need you to sit with them, to be silent, to hear what they have to say. It means you give to your children a decent respect. I'll lay that out, and then I'll look back at what the children are supposed to do. Honour your parents. Parents make mistakes. Parents have got all sorts of baggage they carry with them, as we all have. We've all had life experiences. And some are good, some are bad. So we come with a weight of stuff. We come with our personal backgrounds and it affects the way we live and it affects the way we do things. 
I told you many times before, for my own parents, they came out of the wartime situation, things were tough. I think the life was harder and there wasn't so much affection in the homes. So for my own father, my dad didn't used to say, oh, I love you, son. He used to love me in his actions, in his care, in his kindness, but verbally never used to say it. And I used to find that hard. Until I came to a point of realizing, you know what, he'd lost his mum when he was four years old. It was probably never spoken over him. He's got no frame of reference. That's not something that happened to him. So he's got no training in that, so he finds it difficult, therefore, to do it himself. And when I came to that, I thought, wow, Dad, I'm sorry about that. I'll let you off. Praise God, on his deathbed, he says to me, I love you, son. Those words have power to me. Because for me, that's a big thing. What I'm trying to say is, mums and dads, they don't get it right. They've got a whole raft of issues. But we learn to love and love is forgiveness, and love is releasing, and love is honouring, and love is letting go, and love is preferring, and love is coming back for a fresh start, and love is wiping the slate keen, and love is always pressing in. And as children, we have to do that, because our parents wind us up, and annoy us, and frustrate us, and tell us things we don't want to hear, and we don't want to listen, and I'm running out the house, and I'm slamming the door, and I've come back, because I want to be eat, I want to eat again, and I want to sleep again, and all that sort of stuff and tidy your room and I did it yesterday and I like it like this and all of that stuff's going on everyday life but Jesus is just saying to us honour your parents and obey them and her parents is saying do not exasperate don't wind up your kids to that point where you're having an argument how many times I'm like this how many times when you get into that place of tension and it's sort of like a word comes into your mind and you know it's sort of hovering here and you know a word or an action, you know that if I do that, it's like putting petrol on this. But I quite like that explosion. And there's that few moments. And I know for myself sometimes, oh, go on. Oh, yeah, that's it. And then, you think like, and then within a second you think, I shouldn't have done that. This is the normality of life, and we live normal lives, but you know what? We're trying to live godly lives. We're trying to bring ourselves into alignment with what God says, and God is speaking. His words are hard to hear in our present day. Homes up and down the country, fathers have gone off with other women, there's all sorts of chops and changes and difficulties across what is family now in this nation. And all we seem to do is say, like, well, blame the government. It's their, they need to fix it. No, we can start fixing it by living right here today, by having lives that have God in the center of them, and we're calling God back into the center of our families to bring change to us. That's what we need to do. <sighs> Let's get on from the home, quickly. Let's go to work. Sometimes you say that, gosh, I'm out of this. more peaceful at work than it is at home. Does the Bible have anything to say about work? Now, some of you are going to say, look, in Ephesians it says about slaves, okay? Well, first of all, let's ask the question, how many people at work feel they're a slave? Well, okay, hands down. In the Bible times, a slave was somebody who was employed to do the work. 
they weren't paid necessarily money. They were looked after. They were given, sometimes they were given family. They were given accommodation. They were given food. They were given honor within the household. So a slave isn't just somebody who's beaten all the time. A slave is somebody who is embraced as a worker to support the workings of that house. So when we understand that, a slave is an employed person. A salaried person, we could almost say. And that's what many of us here are. So our workers, and the Bible speaks to workers, to workers it says this, it's coming back to the same thing about authority. God loves authority, and he wants us to honour authority. And in the workplace, he wants us to honour those who are our managers. We could say, hands up now, who's got a rubbish manager? Nobody in the church office put your hand up right now. <laughs> because, oh, you know, they did this, they did that. I don't know whether God sits up in heaven and he's saying like, shut up. I'm not bothered about that. Well, he is bothered about every one of us. But sometimes I think he thinks like, for goodness sake, stop bleating. Start praying. For goodness sake, stop complaining. Start interceding. Because these people... They're without God and they're without hope. They're full of sin and they're under condemnation. And you're sitting there and you're not. And you're telling me about the hard time you've got when I, God, have come to you and made myself known to you and I've brought salvation to you and I've brought the riches of heaven to you so that you might make a change for them. It's not really about, oh, I'm here to earn money and everything, which you are allowed to do because God has put you in that position. You're there as an agent of heaven to make good news known to those people. Not necessarily through your preaching, because it's certainly not always the right place to preach it. Everybody, I want you to stop this morning. I know you've all got important tasks, and I know that I'm not the manager, but I just want to tell you about Jesus in this office today, and we're going to take 10 minutes while you stop your work, and I... It's not the right thing to do. But getting a coffee for somebody because they're having a tough time, helping somebody else out, honoring your boss, being respectful to your boss, trying to come up with constructive help instead of criticism. They never do this. They're always like this. How about having some constructive comments to help? Is there something we could do in a, in a better way? I've got an idea. Is this of any help? Help and try to make helpful suggestions, but always we want to seek to honour our managers, those who are over us. Workers, we want to obey our line manager. That's what we want to do. And workers, we want to work wholeheartedly. Well, that's a silly word. What does wholeheartedly mean? Well, let me ask you this. What does half-heartedly mean? We all know what half-heartedly means. Oh, I can't be bothered with that. I'm having time out. I don't know about this. We know exactly what half-heartedly means, but we don't know what wholeheartedly means. Well, that's funny, isn't it? So does that mean we're all trying to do it half-heartedly? What is the Word of God saying to us? What is the truth? You know when it's so exciting for us to talk about biblical truth and how God is true and how God is right and His character and what He's like, how exciting it is, so that when the truth suddenly comes to us and it affects our daily life, then we have to hang on a second, God. Let's make room for his work. When we find that we're being offended by who God is, maybe there's darkness in us instead of light. Maybe we want to hold on to him and embrace him. We need to press into God and find out what he is saying and then seek to do it. 
We want to be those who work wholeheartedly. What difference would it make in your place at work if you went in tomorrow and from tomorrow and from this day forth, I will honour my line manager, I will respect him or her and seek to be at work in the most effective way for them without undermining them with my words or the things that I say to everybody else. What difference would it make? I know one difference it would make. It would make your life cleaner with God. That's the first thing. Because you wouldn't feel guilty, you'd feel like, God, I'm seeking to honour you. And as you honour God in your workplace, I believe that God will honour you. You open a channel up for him to be able to work in that situation. What difference would it make tomorrow if we, we worked wholeheartedly and we gave ourselves to it? And you know what? I know it's hard. And I know it's challenging. What did I say? When we find ourselves running out of supplies and reserves and ability... That's the time when we can lift our hands up to him and say, God, I need you. Man does not live on bread only. Man does not really survive without connecting with heaven. He needs God, and we need to be on our knees. When you really understand that the lost are lost, then we get to our knees and say, Lord, my manager has got a mess on his hands. He's got me working for him to start off with, but I'm here to try to help. And you have not put me here for no reason. You've put me here for reason. Glorify your name in me. Glorify your name in this office. Let your name be lifted up. May you be honoured and revered. May the name of Jesus be seen for what it is. In the midst of the society that we're in, may the honour of your name be raised up. May your kingdom come. May your will be done. And just to finish, management. If you're sitting here as a manager, overseeing other people, and then God says this to you, you better make sure that you're treating your workers in the way that God wants you to serve him. You want to honour God? Then make sure you're blessing and helping your workers, encouraging them. Treat your workers as if you are serving the Lord. Treat your workers as if you've got a boss that is God who's watching over your every move, which he is, because he sees everything, he knows everything that we do, think, say. He knows everything. So if we're in a management position, then we need to be trembling too because our God is over us. God's truth is this. If we continue in his truth, in his word, then we will know the truth and the truth will set us free. Amen. Let's stand together. We're going to sing a song of dedication. This is my desire. I just want you to stop for a second. What is your desire on hearing this word? Is your desire that God be honoured and glorified? Is your desire to see change? Are you thinking already you want to nudge your wife or your husband and say, hey, quick, are you going to change? Or are you going to let God change you? Are you going to be affected in who you are? What response are you looking to make? So as we sing this song together, you're making a response in your heart. Lord, this is my desire. I want to honour you, and I want to lift you up. So let's worship the Lord together with this. What I what I want to do now is I want to pray. I want to pray and ask God to forgive us. And whatever situation God's been speaking to you about in your own...
lives. I want you to connect with when I pray for forgiveness. When we know that we are doing wrong, when we know that we're walking in ways that are wrong, when we know that there's behavior that's wrong, there is a way that we need to get out of it, and that is to repent. We need to confess our sins before God. He who is faithful and just forgives sins and cleanses us from our unrighteousness, and that enables us to live correctly. Now, I don't know what area that might be. It might be the whole lot. You know, marriages, children, work. It might be the whole lot. I don't know. I'm not here to pull any punches. I'm certainly not here to blame anybody. I'm here because I need to confess my sins as well. But I just want to pray. And as I pray, in your own hearts, I want you to own these prayers of confession. And then then as we sing another song afterwards, you can just sing the song, yes, but also pray in your heart about your own situation. We're here to get ourselves right with God. We're here to align with his word that we may see his life coming into us. Heavenly Father, we come before you to ask for your mercy and for your grace. For Father, in truth, we have not lived up to what your word says. Father, we have disrespected, we have dishonored, and we have not loved one another in our marriages, in our families, and even in our workplaces, oh God. Father, we have found authority, something to rebel against, something, oh God, to fight against, something to speak against. Father, we have found that we have not wanted to work wholeheartedly. We have wanted to wind our children up. We've wanted, oh God, to to get back at others because of what they have done to us. But you, oh Lord, are leading us into a new place. And we're asking, Lord, for your help. We're asking you to forgive us for our shortcomings, for those things that we know that we've deliberately done wrong and for those ways that we find we can't seem to walk away from, they become patterns of behavior for us. Father, we are asking of you not just to forgive our wrongdoing, our sin, but to help us to be more than conquerors, to help us to overcome to speak your word of life into us, to let the change come to our hearts that we may be those who are radiating heaven, not just exhibiting the same patterns of behavior that have been established here upon the earth. Father, have mercy. Have mercy. Father, forgive our sin and lead us in the everlasting paths of righteousness. For your name's sake, we would ask it. Amen.